Good morning. Okay, so um, whether you know this or not, I don't know, but Bren and Jen had their baby this week. Yeah. They had a little girl. Her name is Priscilla, and so Bren's kind of out of it. And uh, so I, um, we're going to take a step, we'll step back from taking a look at Matthew and turn our attention to uh, a story in the Bible. In fact, it's an entire book of the Bible, so we're not going to read the entire story. I'll try to summarize some of it in a little bit. But with that in mind, we're also going to look at a few other passages, and the guys are going to come forward. If you need a Bible to follow along, put up your hand. I'd be glad to put one in it. Otherwise, um, there will be up on the screen as well. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be, I was going to Orlando for work, and I was on this flight from Denver to Orlando. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a flight to Orlando, Florida before, but it's, it's an interesting experience. It's not like your regular flight. The reason being is because about 50 to 75% of everybody on the airplane is going to have fun. And there are a lot of little kids on the airplane. They're all going to go see Mickey Mouse and Minnie, and they're going to do everything else. And I don't know, if you've been to Orlando, by the way, how many of you have been to Orlando and done the theme parks and stuff? Oh, if you haven't, you need to go. And the reason I said is I'm like a Florida guy. I grew up in Miami, and then I lived in Central Florida for many, many years before we moved out here to Idaho. And I love what Central Florida has to offer. Just the, this, this one section called International Drive is just an amazing um, cultural experience, and you've got to try that. But that, and then all the theme parks. But everybody goes to Orlando with this sense of adventure, at least those that are on that, that are going for the theme parks. And it's, it's, there's an excitement in the airplane. When you fly southwest, there's always kind of weird stuff that happens with the flight attendants anyway, because they try to entertain. If, and uh, when, you go, when you're going to Orlando, it's like it, they, they try to start the theme park ride from the time the door closes on the airplane till you get there. And it's just a real fun experience. And, um, but you see all these guys and gals and their kids and uh, young and older ch children just really jacked about going to um, the theme parks because there's a sense of adventure. Now, speaking of adventure, how, has, how many of you have been, we'll just do a show of hands, how many have been to Disney World? Disney World, okay. All right. Um, about, about a fourth of us, so that, that's, that's probably about right. And, you know, you got all these people going down to that area, and you go to theme parks, you go to Disney World, you go to uh, Universal Studios, and all, all these, when you move into a theme park, it's important to have a plan, okay? When you go to a theme park, it's important to plan. It really depends on how you approach it. Some people, you know, when you go, like, for instance... Islands of Adventure, Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure in Orlando. Um, when you first walk into the park, as soon as you go in, on the left-hand side, there's this ride called the Hulk. And it's really good. You need to do it if you go. But there's also, in the very back of the park, um, this ride called Dueling Dragons, which is very incredibly cool as well. And so you've you got to have a plan when you get to the theme park. I like to be planned out, and I think everybody has a plan. In fact, we used to take students, middle school uh, students, down to the theme parks, in the Orlando area, and it was fun to listen to them and the leaders that they would be traveling around with plan out their, their attack on the theme park. You know, some of them would go, okay, we're going to go and we're going to do the Hulk and we're going to ride it. Then others would go, oh, we're going all the way to the back of the theme park and ride Dueling Dragons because if we go back there first, we'll beat all the crowd that gets sucked into the other rides and we can ride that two or three times before the lines get really long, you know? And then if you go to a brand new theme park, if you're anything like me, don't you, you know, they give you that map. You, you fold out, and you got to find your way, right? And I like to know where I'm going. I just, I, I don't need to know. And I'm a roller coaster guy, even still. And I just want to do the roller coasters. And my wife is a let's go to the show 
um, you know, those shows. And so we pace that out. And um, so I do the show. She does roller coasters and it works out okay. But, um, but we, all have, we, ha- we all have a plan. Now, here's the deal. When we became followers of Christ, those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, when we became followers of Christ, God invites us in to an adventure. God invites us into an adventure. We become people who are followers of Christ. Now, here's, here's the sad thing, sad but true. So often, becoming a follower of Christ has, has had, we've had the idea of being a follower of Christ we focus upon the things that we can't do or not supposed to do rather than the things that God has called us to. So becoming a Christian has got this negative connotation so that when people say, I'm a follower of Christ, then people who aren't followers of Christ and even Christians, we just assume, well, these are the things that you don't do, right? You don't do this, 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 and this, and we can list them all off. And when I was in a church, when I was a kid, um, I went to church, and there was like this incredible list of things that you shouldn't do. It was like, like this, right? And when you became a Christian, these are all the things that you didn't do, which is really sad that we spend our time focusing on all the things that we're not supposed to do when Jesus' call to us is, believe in me and follow me. Follow, the idea of activity. He doesn't say, believe in me, and then stop doing these things, all right? That's not what he says. He says, believe in me and follow. There's a sense in which Jesus, when he calls us to himself, he calls us in to a life of adventure. The problem that we um, find amongst followers or believers in Jesus is that we have kind of, um, for lack of a better word, bowed to the idea that our Christianity is about not doing things rather than doing things. So we think, well, we don't do these things, therefore, um, you know, that's good. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that we're supposed to put off as followers of Christ. But when our, the idea of following Christ is just about not doing something, we are missing the boat. We are missing what God has called us to in Jesus Christ. Jesus has called us to follow him. And that should be our focus. The idea of following him has to do with activity. And it's a shame that the idea of holiness has turned to focus on what we separate ourselves from rather than that which we commit ourselves to. And what we commit ourselves to is to faithfully follow Jesus wherever he calls us to go. Now, the reason I started with the theme park thing is because I believe that when we approach Christianity and following Jesus the way that we should, Jesus invites us into a life of adventure. In fact, our life really pretty much doesn't have any purpose and meaning except for selfishness prior to our following Jesus. And once we come to Christ, he changes our hearts, changes our minds, and changes our direction so that we understand that he has something an adventure for us, something great for us to do. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now we know that, and oftentimes we stop there. But in verse 10 it says this, For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance.
for us to do. The reason that God has called you and has chosen you and called you out and done a miraculous work in your life is because he has something incredible for you to do. Now you go, well, I'm just a student, I'm just a mom, I'm just a dad, I'm just a sales representative. You know, but that's not what you are. That's what you do and kind of your, where you are in your station in life right now, but you are a follower of Christ, and God has called you out to belong to him to accomplish great things for him. Look what Jesus says in John um, chapter 15, and we'll start in verse 16. He says this, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Jesus is saying, look, I've called you. I've put my stamp on your life. You are mine because I want to do great things for you, through you. I want to do great things through you. And he says, you will bear fruit. You will do good stuff. You will be, you will be producing things. You'll be doing some great fruit that will last, that will have eternal significance. And that's really, really important for us to grasp. And even as I look at these passages, and we, this, these passages and we talk about the story today that we're going to focus on, I have to really turn and look at my own heart and look at the way that I think because so often, like so many of us, I can get in this, I, I come to this idea where my job is to kind of just kind of protect myself, right? Protect myself and don't do certain things. And ultimately what I'm trying to do is because of the work of Christ in my life is ultimately find myself in the kingdom of God in heaven because of his great work in my life. But, and ultimately I am going there, and all of us that have trusted in Christ are going there, but from the time that Christ changes our hearts to the time that we stand before him in the kingdom, he's got this incredible, adventurous life for us. And we have to not only, not only understand that, but we have to dive into it and move ahead. And kind of seize the day, if you, if you don't mind me saying. Um, the book of Esther is the story that we want to focus on this morning. And if you've never read Esther, it doesn't take that long to read it. In fact, on the way over here, I had about a 25-minute drive to church this morning, and I put it on, and I listened to the entire book on the way over here. And um, we're not going to read it, but I'll kind of summarize the story, at least to the point where we're going to be in the scriptures. If you don't know the story, I would encourage you to read the rest of it. It's very cool. It really is a cool story. Um, here's the deal. There was this young lady. She was probably in her late teens. Her name was Esther, and she was a Jew, and she lived under the captivity or under the rule of the Persian Empire. Now, the king, whose name was Xerxes, um, he was the king the, of the Persian Empire, and he chose Esther to be his wife because she was smoking hot. All right? That's the way it is, all right? He took all, he said they took all the young women in the country, all right? They put them through one year of beauty treatments, and then they presented themselves to the king, and whoever the, found, the king found favor with, he chose her to be his queen. So she had to be really attractive, right? So she finds herself, this young Jewish girl, being the queen of the most powerful empire in the world at that time because she's good looking, all right? She won the beauty contest. And she said, and she has her own palace, and, you know, life is going on. Now, she has an uncle whose name is Mordecai, and Mordecai is, sits at the gate all the time, and I, I don't understand, and forgive me, I don't understand how, why it was that all the old guys sat at the gate, 
okay? It was like they were tired or something. They didn't have anything else to do but sit at the gate. But they always say like the leaders and elders sat at the gate. Well, he was sitting at the gate and he was just one of the leaders of the Jewish people. And um, there was a second hand guy from the king whose name was Hammond. And Haman was, if you read the story, he's pretty full of himself, okay? And he was number two in the kingdom next to the king. The king made him that way because he found favor with the king. And every time he would go in and out of the city, everybody would bow down and say, oh, you're so great, except for Mordecai. And Mordecai refused to do it. And he said, I'm not going to do it because I'm a Jew. And so Haman was like really mad at Mordecai. And he said, not only get mad at Mordecai, but he said, I'm going I'm to wipe out all of Mordecai's people as well. And so he goes to the king and says, hey, king, I got this idea. There's these people that are really obstinate and stiff-necked, and they're kind of a pain in your kingdom. And, um, and what we're going to do is we're just going to wipe them all out. And the king says, yeah, whatever you want to do. Now, I don't understand that either, but that's the way they did things back then, okay? I mean, and it's not just the way that they did it. It was kind of a weird thing. So he gives Hammond the, right, the ability to go out and decree that all the Jews are going to be killed. Now, when this decree goes out, They've got several months. It, the decree was set, but there are several months to the day that it's supposed to take place. So Mordecai and all the other Jews are really upset, and, um, and they're weeping, and they're praying, and they're crying out to God. While this is going on, Esther is in her queenly palace, and she doesn't even know what's happening. And she sends a message out to Mordecai, says, basically saying, hey, what's up? What's going on? I haven't heard from you in a while, uncle. And he doesn't respond, and so she sends her servants out to find out what is going on. And Mordecai responds back, haven't you heard? This is what's happening. Hammond and the king have determined that we're, all the Jews are going to be wiped out. And you are in a position where you can do something about it. You are the queen. But if you don't do anything about it, God will indeed raise somebody else up to save his people. But who knows, this is a paraphrase, but who knows, it, it is probably for such a time of, as this that you were placed where you are. And so Esther responds back to him and says, yo, Mordecai, I can't go to the king. The rule is unless the king summons you, you cannot go to the king. If you do, if you just show up on your own, the king has the right to kill you. And, um, and it's been 30 days since the last time I saw him. And Mordecai responds, no, you need to go. You have to go because this is a time that God has appointed for you as a follower of God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we find ourselves in Esther chapter 4. And this is where I want us to turn our attention just to a couple verses here. Esther chapter 4 and then verse 15. I think that's where we are. Okay. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I will perish. Now, the words that I want us to focus on that Esther says in that little bitty phrase is this, or in that phrase is this, I will go. I will go. Now, just so you know, she does go to the king. The king extends his scepter. She talks to the king. Some crazy stuff goes on. You've got to read the story. It's very cool. Um, Mordecai comes out ahead. Hammond, not so much. Um, and God works and redeems his people. It's a very cool story. 
But the point that I want you to see is this, is that Esther was there. She had, she had it. She had everything. She was the queen. She had her own palace. She had her own servants. She had her own, you know, uh, attendants. She had it all. And yet she was willing because of God's call in her life and the, and the things that he had done in her life and the position and the place that he had her to step out and say, I will go. I will go. And she said, you know what? I might die. I might die. And the king could have had a bad day that day, decided the last time he saw her, he wasn't really happy with her, and he could have had her removed, and he could have had another queen instantaneously. There were a bunch of other pretty young ladies that had been gathered from all across the country that he could have picked from. And yet God, in his love and in his providence and in his desire to care for his people and to work in Esther's life, had the king show her favor. Now, that's the story. But the idea is this, is that Esther was here at this time in her life. She did not know, but all she did was move forward doing what she believed was the right thing to do as one who was a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, for those of us that are believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who have accepted the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, our lives have been transformed. And as we look before, that God has called us to himself through Christ for a specific purpose, that we might do something great in our lifetimes. Now you go, well, I'm not going to go save a bunch of people. I'm not going to save a nation. Here's the deal. You don't know what you're going to do. God has called us. God has called us to use us and to let our lives, in a sense, be an adventure unto him. The idea is that we are to follow Christ, that we are to move forward, that we are to be in the process of seeking to be used by him, seeking to do whatever it is that he wants to do in and through us for his kingdom. So this is what I want to tell you this morning. As, I said, as we think about the idea of, of moving forward in the idea of following Christ, it, like I said, it's so sad that we just always think what we're not supposed to do rather than what we are supposed to do. And so I just want to lay out three things that I think that we can do and I can do um, this week and in the weeks and the months ahead that will help us to be people who are actively involved in the adventure that God has called us into. Now here it is. The first one is this, is that I believe that we need to begin to pursue God's heart. And by that I mean this, is that we, when we pray, and I imagine that uh, all of us prayed this week, we have a tendency to pray for ourselves, right? We pray and ask God to grant us strength, maybe to grow us, to teach us from his word. We pray for other people. We pray that God would provide for their needs, bless them, all of these things. A lot of times I find myself praying for things that I don't even need, right? I mean, it's just that I want more of. I've got stuff. I just want more of it, right? That's the American way. All right, uh, I, got all I, th I got everything I need, and yet I'm still asking for it. You know, we ask for stuff. We are blessed. I mean, we really are. 
Uh, most of us ate this morning, and those of us that did not chose not for a reason. And, um, and so we, we make conscious choices, but we don't have to worry. We're not, that whole concept of give us our daily bread, we go to the refrigerator, right? So, um, so we're blessed that way, and America is blessed. But what we've got is, and don't get me wrong, there are some of us that have more than others, and there are those of us that are in need. I understand all of that. And when we go to God and we ask him for things, he wants to hear us. But so often we ask for things just to make us comfortable so that we can try to get through, through our life. The idea is just to get through the life and, and make it as easy as possible for ourselves, right? Make it as easy as possible for ourselves rather than to experience the adventure. Now, here, here's the deal. Is that, um, um, so well, let me back up. We, so when we pray, my idea and my, my request of myself and my, or my idea for myself and my request of you this morning is this, is that we would be people who pray and ask God to give us his heart. When was the last time you said, Jesus, give me your heart. Give me your heart for people. Give me your heart for circumstances. Give me your heart that I might see, that I might understand as you see, that I might Act as you act, as I might respond as you respond, and I might move forward in my life as you would have me move forward. Give me your heart. When we get a sense of the heart of Christ, our lives begin to change. And, and here's the deal. We probably don't want it because it'll make us really uncomfortable. I heard a guy speak one time. He prayed, God, Jesus, just give me your heart. And he said he couldn't stop weeping. He said, Jesus gave him his heart. He said he felt like, and he said, just take it away. Because he said he saw the hurt and the frustration in the world everywhere he turned. And he saw broken people, and he said he just couldn't help but weep. And I think what we need to do is cry out and say, Jesus, give me your heart that I might see as you see, that I might understand as you understand, and that I might grasp this life and the circumstances of this life as you see them. We spend all of our times protecting ourselves, trying to keep ourselves almost from adventure so that we can be safe. I mean, we are safe people, right? We, we work really hard to keep our kids safe. We work really hard to keep our, ourselves safe. Here, listen to this. This week, um, my wife got a text and said, and the text was, where is, where, her name's Carly, my daughter. Where is Carly? I can't find her. And, we were, and my wife was like, I don't even know who this text is from. And so she called back, and she goes, who are you, and why are you looking for my daughter? And they said, haven't you heard? We go, heard what? And they said, there's been a shooting on the campus of Seattle Pacific University. Well, my daughter's a student at Seattle Pacific University. My wife is kind of freaky, right? She freaks out. She freaks out. We start, start trying to call her, and finally we get a hold of my daughter, and she says she's safe. She was actually at work when it took place. It took place in a building right over from her dormitory. And, you know, and we were thankful for her safety, but it saddens everyone's hearts, right, when something like that, a tragedy happens, and people are hurt, and a family, there's some family today that lost their child. And, and we think, well, you would think that a, that a Christian liberal arts college campus would be a safe place for your kid, Right? Just put them there and keep them safe. And yet, we spend all of our lives trying to keep ourselves safe and the people that we love safe, but we have no ability to do that. We have no ability to do that. Because circumstances happen and God is working in the midst of our lives. This is the other thing that, that just uh, 
my daughter is doing. She, um, a few months ago, she called us and she said, Mom, Dad, I, I think that I need to go on the mission field this summer. And we said, that, you know, that's a really nice idea, but we probably think you should probably stay home and make some money to pay for school because it's dang expensive, all right? And she goes, no, I really think that I should go. And I said, well, we said, okay, okay, whatever. So she calls back and she goes, okay, I'm going on the mission field and I've decided where I'm going to go. And, and we said, great. You know, and we're like, well, we really wish she would work. And she go, then she goes, I'm going to Indonesia. And then I said, well, really great. You picked... Um, the world's largest population for Muslims lives in Indonesia, okay? It's the largest Muslim country in the world. And she goes, I said, she said, and this is what, there's three girls and one guy, college students. We're all going to Indonesia for four weeks. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to talk about this, okay? We need to talk about this. And she begins to unfold this. And I go, try to learn. They said, learn what's going to happen. They're going to go live with host home, host families. And then what they're going to do is interact with the culture in a way so that they're able to evangelize in a Muslim country where it's against the law to evangelize. And you go to jail for telling people about Jesus. And I'm like, whoa, let's just stop right there, okay? Why don't you go to Haiti, okay? Why... <laughs> You know, why don't you choose to go to, how about Mexico? That's a great place, all right? I got a better idea. Why don't you go to like New Orleans or Miami or, you know, or Vegas or someplace like that where you speak the language, it makes more sense. And plus it's not going to cost as much because this is like an astronomical sum of money that she has to raise. And um, she goes, no, I really want to go. And her mom and I are like, we just don't think she should go. We just don't think she should go. And then um, I called her up and I said, this is the deal, Carly. We want you to do what God wants you to do. So here's my request. You tell me from your heart that you believe it is that Jesus wants you to go to Indonesia and not Carly wants to go to Indonesia. And if you can say that, then I will back you. And you pray about it and let me know. She goes, but I only got till tomorrow to make a decision. I said, well, then you better be praying. And I hung up. We got a call the next morning. She goes, I really think that God wants, us, wants me to go to Indonesia. And I said, then who am I to tell you no? And she's been in the process of raising her money, and in July she's going to Indonesia with three girls and a guy and Jesus. I want to protect her. But she's out to live an adventure. I want to keep her safe but she's out to live an adventure. I want her to come home and do the right thing and make money and be responsible for her to pay for herself to go to school. But she's on an adventure that she knows that God is leading her on. And then who am I to stand in her way? Wait, that's not safe. Life isn't safe. Jesus never called us to be safe. He called us to step away from this. We live in America. We are so stinking blessed. Even those of us that are struggling, we're so amazingly blessed. And, and Jesus calls us out of all of this to follow him. Now, he may leave us in the midst of it, but he still calls us to follow him. He still calls us to live the life of adventure, which is on a daily basis as we commit ourselves to him. And so, therefore, I would encourage you to pray and ask God that he would give you his heart, that you would see things as he sees them and respond to them as he responds to them. And then, secondly, I think that we need to do the right thing. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, 
it says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Remember that following Jesus is, just not about, is not just about getting rid of sin, but it's about doing something. And when we do the right thing, we put other people first. When we do the right thing, we love our spouse. When we do the right thing, we obey, obey, obey our parents. It's hard for me to even say. Um, uh, when, when we do the right thing, when we do the right thing, we live lives of integrity when it comes to our academics and our jobs. We do what is right. I had a friend say that if we would just do what we know we should do, we wouldn't have to learn anything else. We that are followers of Christ would make an incredible impact on the lives of the people that we touch if we would just do what it is that we know we should do. Once again, it's not what we don't do. It is what we ought to do. First, we pray and we ask Christ to give us his heart, and then we live in obedience to him, doing the things that we should do. Have you ever done anything, or have you ever not done what you know you should have done? Oh, all of us have, right? No, I appreciate that. that. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, and I'm not just, I mean, there's all, those little, there's all those things in our life, right? But there was this one time in my life, and this was many years ago, but it still haunts me. I was a youth pastor in Florida, and I was on my way from one location to another where I was like responsible for something. I, maybe I was speaking, maybe I was, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was in a hurry. And I was driving and it was dusk in Florida in the summertime and I drove by this car that had its hood up and next to the car was this elderly couple, probably in their 70s, and the guy was actually leaning over the hood and smoke was coming out of the engine, you know, and he was leaning over the head, hood, tinkering with the car and his wife had uh, some kind of palm branch or some kind of flowers or leaves or something and she was shooing away the mosquitoes from them as he worked on that car and I went right by it and I heard God say, hey, you know, did he really say it? You know what I mean. Um, he, he didn't say, hey, Mike. No, he, but I heard in my heart, you should stop and help those people. And I went, this is my exact response. I got things I got to do. I'm, I'm, busy, I'm busy doing church stuff, right? And I drove on by, and the further I drove, the more guilty I felt, and I still didn't turn around. And to this day, I don't ever know what happened to those people, but I do know this, that I missed an opportunity to do the right thing. And who knows what would have happened if I would have done the right thing. Now, thankfully, God is forgiving. But I still remember that. And there are many other instances in my life and your lives as well when you realize you did not do the right thing. And yet you know God was calling you to do something. And I guess what I'm saying is this. When you do the right thing, you're willing to take the chance, right? You're willing to say, you know what? This may cost me a little something financially. This may cost me a little something as far as my comfort. This may cost me a little bit in my time. But I'm willing to do it because I know that this is what God would have me do. Why would you know that? Because you are praying and asking God to give you his heart so that his heart is becoming your heart. And now you our understanding and hearing from him. And as you seek to do the right things, as he leads you by his spirit, good things begin to happen and your life changes and it's no longer just about you, but it becomes an adventure to live unto him. Now, this is, this is all kind of like, oh, that's really nice. You know, this is like one of those messages that you give at a retreat or something. Everybody goes, that was great, just so cool and we don't do anything. But that's not what I want here. I want for me 
to remember this stuff and for us to remember that so that we live in obedience to God. After we pray and ask God to give us his heart and after we start doing the right things, then I'm going to just encourage you to, to be active, to start taking the initiative. So many of us say, well, I'm just and I can't. What? That, what I can't. Of course you can't. You're, you're not, you're, and you're not. You just do it in obedience to God, and he does great things in and through us. You know what? If, if I was in a car on a deserted, dark road in the swamp of Louisiana, okay, and they said, drive the car, it's dark, okay, it's dark, it's about midnight, there's no moon, and the guy says, drive the car um, to New Orleans, I would go, well, I can't. I don't know how to get there. I can't. So what am I supposed to do? I can't even see. I, don't, I can't see the road in front of me. All I can see is about 100 yards in front of me. Well, I can sit there and say I can't and just sit there all night. Or I could just start to drive. You know what happens when you start to drive? You see just a little bit further down the road, right? You start seeing a little bit further down the road. The fact is that if I start to drive... If I just move forward, other things begin to be revealed to me. So all of a sudden, I'm driving down this road, and I see a sign. It says, New Orleans, 75 miles. Make a left. I turn, and the headlights just kind of reveal them pretty soon, right? And all of a sudden, I start to see the lights of New Orleans, and I end up there. Why? I didn't know where I was going. I just knew I had to get there, all right? This is what God calls us to do. He says, look, I'm going to do something great with your life. And you go, well, I can't. I'm just this. I'm just that. And he says, just move. Take some initiative. Just do something. Now, let me illustrate that with just two quick illustrations. Number one is of of this young lady. Her name is Tiffany. And and, uh, Tiffany was about 15 years old when she came to Christ um, through a student ministry that I was involved in. And Tiffany's heart was just changed, and some good things happened in Tiffany's life, uh, as it does with all of us that start to follow Christ. And her, her heart got really big, and she had a heart for, for kids that were abused. And there was, this, um, there was this facility in the county that I lived in called the Arnett House. I believe it's still there. And this house was kind of like a halfway home where kids who were found as abused or homeless or left out were sent to, and they spent some time in this home prior to moving into foster care or being folded back into their own homes. And there was a, oftentimes there were lots and lots of students, dozens and dozens of students that were here at the Arnett House. And Tiffany, when she was about in 11th grade, got together with her friend named Amy, and they just started, they said, what we're going to do is we're going to start visiting the kids at the Arnett House. We don't know what's going to happen with this, but we'll just go visit. So they they went to the Arnett House administration and said, we want to come in, and we would just like to hang out with your kids. And the administration said, well, that sounds like a good idea because these kids need some interaction with some, most of them were like junior hires and need some interaction with some older kids. And, and, um, and so they went in and they began to hang out with them. And then more and more kids came and they, um, more and more students from the youth group that Tiffany was involved in started coming with them. Pretty soon there were about 30 high school students that were going into the Arnett house every other week holding an hour and a half program where they did everything from hang out with the kids provide refreshments for him, play games with him, and then one high school kid would get up and just tell about his experience with Jesus. And I got to tell you, for the next two years, kid after kid after kid in the, in, our, in, our, in the Arnett house came to know Jesus as their Savior. You know what? 
That wasn't san- None of that stuff that they did was sanctioned by the church. Can you believe that? They just went out and did that on their own. Craziness, right? No elders told them to do it. No pastor encouraged them to do it. They just went out as high school students and made a difference. And I'll tell you, this morning, somewhere across America, many places across America, there are probably kids who are now adults who are sitting in church as followers of Jesus Christ because that group of students led by Tiffany shared their faith and loved those kids. Tiffany's now still works, and Amy as well, still work in Florida with abused children in the state system. There's another friend of mine. It's not just for the young, by the way. There's another friend of mine. His name's Larry, and just talked to him on the phone. He's 60 years old just this last couple weeks, and I started laughing at him. I said, I can't imagine you as 60. But, um, but he goes, what's wrong with 60? I, th- I think I offended him. But anyway, uh, I, I was like, Larry, man, um, you're, get, you're getting up there. But, uh, but here's the deal. Larry was a contractor in Florida, and he came to us. We were going to Peru. He came to us and said, hey, I, I want to go and see if I can help with this construction project. And he went, and God got a hold of his life, and he went back again and again and again after mission trips. And a couple years ago, he and his wife sold the business, sold all their houses, and moved to Peru and, and moved in and, and started working in an orphanage with kids. They were there for several years, and then because of health reasons, um, he and his wife had to move back to the United States where they're working now, right now, in preparation to go back to Peru. And the reason they're going back to Peru is because Larry's got the plans for an orphanage that he's about ready to start building um, with guys locally there that will house 40 kids. They need $250,000. They don't have any money right now at all. None whatsoever. And he said, we're going to move forward and we're going to build this orphanage. And he just knows that that's what God wants him to do. And he knows that that's what that God's going to provide for that. And he said to me, this may be the last project I ever get to do. And I said, Larry, you got 20 years, man. You're going to build a whole lot more than this orphanage. But he's moving forward and God is using him. And you know what? When he was a contractor, he had lots of stuff. He had lots of stuff. You know what he's got now? Not a whole lot. But when I talk to him, he is so excited about what God is doing in his life and the adventure that he is on. God has called us to adventure, and yet we try to keep our lives safe rather than trust him. God didn't call us just not to do stuff. He called us to set ourselves out on this adventure and be used by him to change the world for the sake of Christ. I have to, I have to preach that to myself because it's so easy for me just to want to be comfortable it's so easy for me just to want to make it through this life and day by day. And yet that is not what God wants. That is not what he's called us to. So what has he called you to? What has he called you to? What has he, call, what has he called me? All of us is different, but all of us play an amazing part in moving the gospel forward in this world. And one day, Those of us that are followers of Christ will find ourselves standing before him. And I don't want to be somebody who hid and just kind of made it through, kind of being safe. I want to be somebody that hears my father say to me, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. So pursue his heart. Do the right thing and take the initiative Step out and follow.
and he will lead. And that's his call and that's his promise. And that's the truth. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for teaching us this morning and thanks for the fact that if nothing happened this morning through what was said in this room, other than what you did in my life, it was well worth it for me. So stretch me, help me not to stop playing it safe and help me start to trust in you, to listen to you, to pray for your heart, to do what is right, and to take the initiative and be excited about where you're taking me and what you're doing in my life for the sake of the gospel that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.